0: Five years ago, you slapped that small boy that calls himself Chidi. It was nothing personal, Lou, nothing too deep. You were just tired. You see, Chidi, the small rat, has been following you up and down. He refused to let you rest. Every day, he whispers in your ear with that scratchy voice that sounds like he has an unswallowed cricket living in his throat. He's whispering sweet nothings like, Oh, baby, you know that I like you. Or, Baby, just allow me once now. Try me, you won't regret it. He speaks with a slow drawl, his lips hitching at the corners. You can sense his cold purpose, the cool touch to his intention, his unwavering belief that one day, you'll allow him to carry you to behind the toilet while all the other students did things. Jiddy refused to let you read well for Wyek. Every day, when other boys are studying, he's sitting next to you rubbing the outside of your thigh. You tell him that you're studying, trying to become someone important. Gidi nods and smiles doesn't understand the concept of working his father's wealth meant that he could afford to live just as recklessly without much care for anything else he says he can take care of you you've heard it all before you groan but soon enough soon enough you are smiling you see chigi's constant begging that's not why you slapped him you like the attention it's nice to be wanted the day after your English exam, when the only paper you had left was photography, you'd finally decided to give Chili a chance. Nothing could spoil here after all. You are sharp, you know you've passed your exams. And it's photography. Photography is a walk in the park, so there wasn't any pressure to study Im- intensely anymore. And you could do with a day off. And sneeze or not, Chili is handsome. Deep brown eyes and a toothpaste advertisement smile. It's a nice distraction. You've just finished the last stressful paper you had, so you, you deserve to be rewarded. You deserve to be wanted. So you let Chidi lead you towards the small gap behind the toilet where all the perverse thoughts of a teenage brain on hormones are enacted. You wonder how people manage to remain sufficiently aroused with the smell of human excrements that hangs in the air. You are still wondering when TD begins to force his lips on yours with the excitement of a hungry baby latching onto a freed nipple. He wiggles his tongue past your lips, pouring saliva into your mouth. It's all a bit too much, you note. His tongue aggressively attacks yours, wrestling for space in your mouth with an overwhelming vigor. It's definitely not ideal, but you don't pull away just yet. You draw the line, however, when he unbuckles his trousers to pull out his soldier and begins to push your head downwards. You struggle against this. Sucking his dick should not be by force. When it becomes too much, you pull away and run. That, later that night, you hear a rumour from your best friend that you apparently did suck Chidi's dick and even begged him to put it in your ass. You're even more shocked than she is. Appalled, you confront Chidi the next day in front of the class to ask him what the fuck he thought he was doing. You swear with purpose and anger. Your word swells in your mouth like a fresh explosion. You expect the force of your expletive to catch him by surprise, to draw some sort of remorse out of him. Instead, he scoffs and smiles and speaks loudly. You're ugly, you know. You're taken aback. You wonder how the same mouth that used to whisper all those sweet words can be so vile. He swells a bit, basking in your confusion, then continues. You're too black. You're a black, ugly slut. You knew no one wanted you, so you've been begging me to come and satisfy you. You didn't just know that I'm not dirty like you. He speaks pointedly, enjoying the way you whines after each sentence. He's probably the type that will smile after killing a chicken with a blunt knife, enjoying the way blood gushes from its headless neck. Ugly, black, ashao. See how she looks like the bottom of a kettle. Chako, that's what you are. He smiles. He knows he's created a nickname that was stick. You can hear the boys in the class snickering and laughing under their breaths. No one is defending you. You two like book, so no one really likes you like that in the first place. Your chest is tight and your head is beginning to spin, so you walk up to him and slap him. Three years ago, in your second year of college, you stopped talking to Brenda. You mark the occasion by doing what any self-respecting member of your generation would do. You delete her contact information, then block her on social media. Then you open Twitter. You pick at the letters slowly as you mull on the words. Cutting away negative energy. Reclaiming my time. Send tweet. Ten minutes later, you see that you have one retweet. It's from a friend both you and Brenda share. At first you smirk. Then you realize that she's probably shown Brenda. Every tweet mocks you, laughs at you and your shameful loneliness. Your face begins to itch, and you block the friend too. Then you delete the tweet. You have every reason to be angry, Shah. Brenda did sleep with your boyfriend. You still remember the day you caught them on the floor of your apartment, humping away like rabbits in heat. You cried as he stood by the doorframe, pouring empty strings of I'm sorry, babe, and it was a mistake. It was a mistake, but he had his, the effrontery to defile your relationship in your own apartment. You chased him out and ended it. And for two whole days, your love for him was dead. But you see, love is a pesky and irrational feeling. It doesn't lend itself well to long periods of silence. So on the third day, your love for him resurrected, and you found yourself stalking his Instagram and Snapchat stories, looking for crumbs of remorse. You did this for a week, chipping away at your contempt for him, convincing yourself that in some way all his posts were about you. He must have been apologizing in his own way. One day, you decide to call him. Just to check in, of course. You ain't going to take him back or anything. Just before you call, you decide to check his Snapchat story to see where he is. He's on a date. With Brenda. You begin to get emotional. You look at your apartment floor and you can almost see their bodies intertwined. Staying in your apartment is beginning to get too stressful, so you leave to go and buy a tub of ice cream that you can eat in the park while you watch people run. On the way to the store, you walk past the bench both you and your ex used to share a lot. You turn your head and focus on something else, as tears slowly slide down your face. At the corner store, the cashier recognizes you. She smiles and waves. You wave back and quickly enter the aisles before she can begin a conversation. You seem to be in the body care section. You're surrounded by a variety of creams, body washes and scrubs. You pay them no mind. The beauty industry is a billion dollar scam after all. On your way out of this aisle, you spot a small bottle standing next to a tall bottle of Nivea. It reads, Skin Whitener, Brighten Your Skin. It makes you remember when your ex tried to make you buy a cream to lighten your skin. He laughed and you asked him if he was serious. He said that he thought you were too dark. That brought back flashbacks from secondary school, so you ignored it and asked if he wanted to buy ice cream. He said yes. Now you go buy the same ice cream he bought that day. On your way out to the tail, you remember that Brenda is light skin. You add the skin right whitener to your shopping basket. Later that year, when you come back to Nigeria from school, you have to process your service here. Your original plan was to avoid doing NYC by staying in the US after you graduated from university and finding a job, but Popsi said no. It was important that you did a service here, just like all your mates. It's important that you show that you are, in fact, a proud Nigerian. So that's how you found yourself on a plane, on the way back to Nigeria. Now, on a hot Friday afternoon, you are informed by your mother that the NYSC posting is out. You wear a cap and leave the house. You've made sure this time to wear baggy leggings and a big T-shirt so that on the that sells mangoes at the end of the road won't ask you why you are leaving your house naked again. When you come back home, you're absolutely heartbroken. You enter the house crying and storm up to your room. When Momsi doesn't come to ask you why you're crying, you remember you're Nigerian and you go back downstairs sulking. Eventually, she asks you why you spot your face. You mumble that you've been posted to Adamawa. Your mother looks at, concerned. Adamawa is far. She doesn't have family there. And that means no one to watch over you during the full year of service. She tells you not to worry. Your father knows someone who works in the N.Y.S.C. You get him to change your posting. You sigh, that's relieving. Your mother senses that you are not relaxed. She asks you to go and cook rice for dinner. When your father comes back home, your mother talks to him and he makes a call. You hear him muttering on the phone as you cook. When you bring his food, he gives you an address. He says you go over to see someone the next day. You nod. The next day you leave for the address your father gave you it's a small office with a receptionist and a few waiting benches it smells of sweat there you meet another girl she's seated on the bench tapping her phone you sit next to her and strike strike a random conversation turns out she's here to change her posting she can't go to kano you can't go to adamawa two peas in a pod a few minutes later A few minutes later, the girl is called into the office. While she's gone, another girl walks into the office. She sits next to you. Bono was the situation she had come to change. You like the second girl a bit more, so you talk a bit more. She's Jennifer, and while she's telling you about the horrors of Canadian winter, the first girl walks out of the office. She's smiling, so it must be good news. You smile too and excuse yourself and enter the office there's a portly man seated at the desk he looks at you as you enter you close the door and wait for him to gesture for you to take your seat but when he says nothing you mumble a greeting and you state your mission Adamawa must become lagos you've barely gotten the sentence out of your mouth when he blurts out there's no postings in lagos anymore you stand there and look at him he looks at you you briefly consider begging before he can utter anything he continues talking I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do. You stutter, then sigh, then turn around. If only you woke up earlier, you tell yourself. As you walk out, Jennifer sees your sad face. You tell her there is no need to bother entering, the last position has been filled. But Jennifer is strong willed. She says something has to change, so she enters the office. You decide to wait for her. You stand by the exit, patiently tapping your foot while you think of what to say when she comes out. She seemed cool, and you're in desperate need of new Lagos friends. When she does come out, your heart drops. She's smiling. She sees you and she immediately starts gushing about how she pressured the man into taking an extra person, even if the postings are full for Lagos. You stare at her and watch her mouth move excitedly. You can feel a strange form of irritation boil from deep within you as she raves on and on about how you can request open state because... It's so close to Lagos, and suddenly something clicks. The first girl, the receptionist, and Jennifer all light skin. Suddenly, you remember the skin whitener that still stands on your cabinet at home. Yesterday was the first day of your new job. You're a personal assistant at an insurance firm. You like the job because it's not stressful. Your dad drops you up at 8 a.m. and picks you up at 5 p.m. because it's on his way to work. All you have to do is remind your boss of his meetings attend a f- and attend to a few of his random whims. It's the perfect job to do while you save money to start your business. You see, you dream of owning a nail parlor. Popsy doesn't believe in the idea because he knows that he can't tell his siblings that his daughter is a successful nail technician. Why the hell? After all, why the hell did he pay for expensive Canadian education? when if you aren't going to do something that will make sense to his family and friends. new technician doesn't roll off the tongue the same way a doctor or architect would. It's definitely not a sexy profession to brag about during your cousin's weddings. So he doesn't want to sponsor your dream. Hence why you are working and saving money. So on your first day, you showed up early. You stand in front of your boss as he begins to sign some documents. He's a nice enough man. He makes a few jokes as he lays out your tasks. You smile and nod. The work is not too intense, just like you thought. He's in the middle of giving you one of the company's safety procedures when darkness suddenly descends. Nepa, Abi, Page Zen, whatever, are taking lights. While you awkwardly wait in the darkness for power to return, your boss begins to speak. Where are you? You've blended in with the darkness. You hear him giggling at his own joke, so you try to giggle along. As you're giggling, giggling, laughing, your vision clouds and you can feel moistness gathering under your eyelids. So when the power returns, you're wiping your eyes. He asks what is wrong. You tell him you're not feeling so good. That night, you finally use the skin whiteness sitting on your cabinet. Today, when your boss comes in, he asks why you're wearing a turtleneck. It's 31 degrees out. You smile stiffly and rub against your neck, telling him you thought it was fashionable. He shrugs and asks if you heard the new Beyoncé album. You shake your head. You couldn't because you were too preoccupied with itching your skin. The skin white did not agree with your flesh. He tells you to listen. It's really good. Then he flashes you a smile and enters his office, humming brown Skin girl under his breath.